0: Welcome to Eye on the Triangle with Seja Hindi, a weekly glimpse into our community, bringing you news from the brickyard to your
1: backyard.
2: Our top stories tonight on the January 18th edition of Eye on the Triangle, updates on the crisis in Haiti, an effort to keep $200 in the pockets of NC State students, and how Massachusetts voters could change the face of Capitol Hill. Live in Washington, I'm Evan Garrett for WKNC.
3: This week in news on Eye on the Triangle,
4: a brief rundown of the latest news.
3: Good evening, I'm John
2: Boyer, also in Washington. The top story worldwide continues to be the worsening humanitarian crisis in Haiti. Nearly a week ago, Tuesday afternoon, a strong and unprecedented earthquake struck near the capital, Port-au-Prince. Over 100,000 people are believed dead, according to the BBC, and hundreds of thousands more left homeless and desperate for aid. Yesterday, U.N. Secretary-General Ban Ki-moon visited the stricken Caribbean nation and urged the need for patience as food and supplies pour in from across the globe. All week, rescuers and aid workers struggled to overcome Haiti's shattered infrastructure to reach the trapped and starving. Locally, WKNC reports that nearly 1,000 soldiers from Fort Bragg's 82nd Airborne are on the way to distribute aid and provide security. NC State students are encouraged to participate in Howl for Haiti, a student-led effort to raise $50,000 in conjunction with Stop Hunger Now. The first donation drive will occur at the NC State Duke basketball game on Wednesday. Volunteers are still needed. Find more information on the, quote, Howl for Haiti Facebook page. The late Ted Kennedy seat in the United States Senate is up for grabs tomorrow. Voters will choose between Democratic candidate Martha Coakley and Republican candidate Scott Brown. Current Senator Paul Kirk, a Democrat, holds the seat on an interim basis. The seat has been in Democratic hands for 57 years, and a Republican victory could shift the balance of power in Washington. The New York Times reports that Coakley and Brown are neck-and-neck in the latest polls. It's called the tuition petition. The technician is reporting that student governments statewide are attempting to repeal a $200 tax on college tuition passed by the legislature in August 2009. The fees will go into effect during the upcoming school year and are directed at balancing the state budget rather than aiding the university system. NC State student leaders hope to garner at least 15,000 signatures. Terry and Moritzville officials are exploring a potential merger. Though nothing is official yet, WRAL says that members of both town councils have expressed a desire to hold talks. In order for any merger to happen, both town councils must agree as well as a majority of affected voters. Few surprises last night in Hollywood. James Cameron's Avatar took home Golden Globes for Best Drama and Best Director. The Hollywood Foreign Press Association, the organization behind the Golden Globes, reports that other favorites taking home awards included Meryl Streep, Alec Baldwin, and AMC's Mad Men. Warner Brothers' The Hangover and Fox upstart Glee managed wins despite strong competition. Kevin Bacon is now one degree of separation closer to all the aforementioned victors thanks to his golden performance in HBO's Taking Chance. On this day in 1919, the Paris Peace Conference began at Versailles, marking the end of World War I. And in 1990, right here in Washington, the FBI arrested Mayor Marion Barry for drug possession. In 1998, Matt Drudge brought the story of President Bill Clinton's affair with White House intern Monica Lewinsky. And two birthdays on this day, Kerry Grant born in 1904. And Kevin Costner in 1955. In the weather tonight, the forecast calls for mostly clear skies with a low in the mid-30s. Tomorrow, expect highs in the lower 60s under mostly sunny skies. Wednesday sees more clouds moving in and temperatures slightly cooler, only in the mid to upper 50s. By Thursday, highs are back down into the mid-40s, with rain once more on tap. Live from Washington, I'm John Boyer. And I'm Evan Garrett. Please stay tuned as Eye on the Triangle continues from Raleigh.
5: Happy MLK Day, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. We have a lot of great things coming up this week. Um, We have our regular sports segment, Derek Medlin and Tyler Everett will give us a good analysis from that. We also have a update on Hillsborough Street construction on VIP. We have a feature on the new store on Hillsborough Street, Sugar Magnolia and the free trade uh, management that they do on Hillsborough Street as well. On Hear This, we have an interview with I Was Totally Destroying It on Wolfpacker of the Week. We interviewed the Ollie Oxen owner and... We have an exclusive interview for bites on EOT, on EOT's website, wknc.org slash EOT. As always, make sure to email us suggestions at publicaffairs at wknc.org. We've been slacking a little bit on the blog, so we apologize for that, but we'll uh, get back to normal. Be sure to check out wknc.org slash EOT for some changes as well. And now on to sports.
6: What's up, guys? It's uh, This is Derek. I want to say I uh, hope everybody had a good break. I wasn't here last week, so let me just get that out of the way. Happy MLK Day to everybody out there. Uh, we're going to jump right in here. Um, most of you are probably aware uh, NC State basketball lost again this weekend to Clemson uh, 73-70. to You know, it was a close game. NC State played well. Uh, came back from a 21-point first-half deficit to get to within one point with about 35 seconds left. Uh, couldn't quite pull it out. Uh, just kind of you know, failed to get things done at the end of the game, which we've kind of seen over and over here. Um, got Tyler Everett beside me. Uh, he covered the game for technician. I'm gonna let him talk just a just a minute here about the game, Tyler. Um, what you know, what do you think it came down to?
0: Um, I think uh, we got a lead, even though we did come back to make it very interesting at the end. With the lead was about insurmountable. When you get down by 21, um, regardless of how much time left, you're just in such a hole where if you make any slip-ups, you you're just too far down to come all the way back and the reason I thought we were down in the first half was um, fairly lax defense. Um, Clemson shot 60 percent in the first half and that is impressive but they weren't hitting real difficult shots. The reason they were shooting so well was because we were giving up easy looks I thought. Um, Turned that around completely in the second half really made them work for their shots and it showed in their shooting percentage. They didn't shoot near as well in the um, second half at all and we really turned it up offensively. Farnold and Farnold again, and Julius Mays are real aggressive breaking the press, and um, the press is kind of a do or die when the other team runs it because if they don't force a turnover and you get it past half court, you might be able to get some layups and some um, get the offense running. And first half, even when we broke it, we didn't do that. Second half, we did. Uh, Farnold and Julius both had a number of uh, quick shots um, uh, soon after the team broke half court, and then uh, down the stretch, uh, down one, Howell could have given us the lead, uh, Clemson player made a great block. Smith had hit Howell with a good pass, and Howell was open. But can't take anything away from him. It was a good block. And then, um, last stretch of the game, Mays had a decent, had one probably good look at it. Uh, rattled out, and then uh, had another look after an offensive rebound out of bounds. Um, that that shot fell short. It wasn't a terrible shot, but was unlikely, and it didn't fall.
6: Right. I mean, you know, it's just again we've seen this story from the Wolfpack this year. You know. Uh, get close losses, close losses, losses, close losses. Over and over and over. Um, hopefully they can get it turned around. I don't know. Uh, this coming Wednesday, have another big game. I mean, obviously every game in the ACC is big. Uh, they welcome Duke, who uh, in the previous AP poll was ranked eighth. I'm not sure where they are now. I think they're sixth maybe. I don't know what
0: came out today, but they're, they're top ten. Yeah. Put it that um, way.
6: Playing well. Thing. They beat Wake Forest by about 20 last night. Uh, really balanced team. Played very good defense. Played very smart. um they- not yeah. gonna, they're not going to hurt
0: themselves. If you're going to beat Duke, you have to take it from them. They're not going to. They're very. They're not very likely at all to have a lot of turnovers. And right.
6: Stuff. I mean, that's you know another big game. Uh, that game I believe is a nine o'clock tip on, on Wednesday, Wednesday night. Um, then this weekend, another big game on the road uh, at Maryland, who is kind of a team that that plays well at times, up and down, just like NC State, uh, just like a lot of teams in the ACC this year. So, a couple of big games going on this week. Um, we'll see how they play. We're going to move on a little bit. Um, I know Sudja will enjoy this next topic. topic. It has a little bit of a news angle to it. Uh, You know, everybody's aware now that uh, Chancellor Randy Woodson has been hired, introduced. He's going to, you know, start his uh, kind of era as chancellor sometime, I'm sure, in the spring. Um, Chancellor Woodward, the interim chancellor, is going to continue to to work and uh, work with Woodson, I'm sure, through the spring. So, you know, obviously the the first thing you think of when, when somebody hires a new chancellor is the academic side of things but his hire can really impact the athletic side of things. Uh, that being said, the first name that's going to come up in those, those topics of discussion is Lee Fowler, the athletic director. He's been here 10 years now. Um, there's a lot of people out there who, who think Lee Fowler needs to go. Um, I don't necessarily know what I believe there, but uh, Tyler, you know, do you think that uh, the, the hire of Chancellor uh, Woodson is going to impact Lee Fowler's job?
0: Um I don't know. Woodson's certainly um, the one in control of this, and I, I have very few connections to anybody in the chancellor's office. I don't know what he's thinking as far as Fowler's concerned, but Fowler is not a very popular man to say the least, and it's not, I mean, you can argue he's doing a good job or or not. That's kind of subjective, but the thing is uh, the average uh, career of a athletic director is, I'm not sure exactly, but it's about three, four, maybe five years. Fowler's been here a very long time, and when you out, when you outdo your average tenure of your position, it's it's typically because you've been doing a great job. And I think it's it's hard to say that Fowler's done a great job. Um, haven't been in the NCAA tournament since, I believe, 2006. Went to a bad bowl game in football last year and lost. And before that, it had been a couple of years since the last bowl. Just not a whole lot of success in the revenue sports and in the uh, non-revenue the team, very few Wolfpack teams nationally are very good. Track and cross country, I know. Both men's and women's are solid. Um, and on a positive note, we had two individual national champions last year, which is huge, Darian Caldwell, the wrestler, and Kristen Davies, the diver. But the wrestling team was far from a national powerhouse, and the same can be said about the swimming. So that was individual accomplishments. That wasn't um, a team thing. So there's certainly certainly uh, room for improvement in almost all of state sports. So. You know, you have to look at
6: things. The way I look at this is, uh, you know, non-revenue sports are very important. They're very important to the overall success of the athletic program. But what makes the news, what makes the money, what makes people want to spend money on NC State Athletics is men's basketball and football. I I know that stinks for everybody out there who's, you know, a rifle fan or a volleyball fan. Um, But at the end of the day, football and men's basketball have to perform on a national stage um, I think really at NC State, it's especially basketball, seeing as how NC State's had two national championships. You know, that's an impressive past um, when Everett Case and, and all of those, those great teams were here uh,
0: the, in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and even the 70s. Yeah. I mean, State history boasts one of the a, a, guy a lot of people think is the greatest college basketball player ever in David Thompson, at least when he was in college, and you look last 10 years, nobody's been nationally known. Right, I from mean our basketball program. Cindac f- had a couple of teams that were ranked, but nobody was ever better than top fifteen. And then we've seen the success and struggles of Sidney Lowe era.
6: Right, I um, mean you have to, you know, you have to, you have to perform at the highest level and at the most important level. And in college athletics, that's men's basketball and football. I hate it. I hate it for Leaf Hour because, like you said, some of the other non-revenue sports have done well. Um, some of them have done not so well. Volleyball, perfect example. Uh, Ten no, no, it was seven ACC wins in the ten years that that Fowler has been here. That's just unacceptable. Um, I don't know that he's gone. I know it's going to be something that's looked at. The other interesting thing of this in this uh, whole discussion is when something may happen. Um, you know, if if it's done once Woodson gets here, you may not see a decision reached until the summer. Um, rumors that I've heard uh, have it more like Woodward, the interim chancellor, has kind of been told to clean house a little bit. Um, and I've heard that, that this includes Lee Fowler. Um, whether that will happen, we'll have to just kind of wait and see. It's going to be a secretive thing, but obviously this the the new chancellor, Randy Woodson, is going to have a huge impact on yeah. um, on athletics as well. and, and
0: I think this basketball season will be big. Sidney Lowe's another guy that's not quite universally beloved, and if his team turns it around and wins, goes on a tear and wins nine or ten ACC games, then maybe, hey, Fowler will be okay because a big subject a lot of people think about is – we should have gotten a, a more reputable coach than Lowe in the first place, and a right. lot of people say, "Well, hey, no Lowe's not doing great, but how would we have expected him to we we had We interviewed a number of candidates, some officially and definitely some maybe not, but um Lowe was certainly not the first choice, and a lot of people say if we had a better a d we would have gotten a first choice coach having two national championships in our history right. A lot of people think a, a good a d would have been able to reel in somebody like Calipari is a tough example because a lot of people don't like his off-the-court stuff, but somebody, a a big name like that, or a Jay Wright who was at Villanova. I'm not sure where he is now, but we certainly didn't land land a blockbuster um, coach when uh, Sendak left. I think the thing you can say
6: here is time will tell. It should be an interesting spring. Um, I guess uh, we're going to wrap things up. I appreciate uh, you guys joining us this week on sports. Uh, We'll be back next week. We're going to keep bringing the news, keep bringing the analysis. Uh, We will be back in two weeks. Hope everybody has a good night. Good rest of MLK Day. Thanks for joining us. We're out.
3: Eye on the Triangle's VIP.
7: Talking to people that matter. Located on the north side of NC State's main campus, Hillsborough Street serves as a busy thoroughfare for the Raleigh community as well as students. Currently, the street is undergoing a massive overhaul that has put it into a state of disarray, disrupting every motorist and inconveniencing many people who utilize Hillsborough Street for its various businesses since last year. The inconvenience that this overhaul has brought to campus has not only hurt businesses, but also discourages many students from using the street. To try and get a good perspective on the big picture, we first talked to George Chapman, former chair of the Hillsborough Street partnership
8: really the big picture which is what you got to keep focused on here is we're trying to make Hillsborough a destination in Raleigh a place that people come to to experience things do things it has for years been a place that people go through not to and that's what we want to change about Hillsborough Street it's really more about creating a place where people want to be people can interact with each other a lot of us who have been involved in this talk about it as creating a place where where the neighborhoods can meet the students, the businesses can meet other people from throughout the city and the region. Instead of Hillsborough Street being a border for the university, we want it to be a bridge to the community. The community is very diverse. Uh, it not only involves students who live in the community and are here for, you know, one to four years. Uh, But it also involves the uh, faculty who teach at this university, the staff members who work here, um, the people who come back and forth every day. It involves their kids, the the grandparents that live in those neighborhoods. Um, They want to be able to be a part of Hillsborough Street. They want to be able to be part of what's happening on Hillsborough Street. Uh, We don't want to see Hillsborough Street be nothing but a string of pizza parlors and fast food joints. You know, you can get that anywhere. Uh, but instead, you know, what's happening on Hillsboro Street and what people probably don't appreciate enough is that Hillsboro Street's become one of the most exciting uh, centers of international cuisine in the triangle. I mean, you walk up and down the street, yeah, there's Pakistani, there's Uh, Indian, there's Chinese, there's uh, Lebanese, there's Italian, I mean it's it's a virtual uh, United Nations of food you know right here in the triangle there is no place else within two miles that you can get that diversity. It's also uh, an affordable place to be. Uh, Most of these restaurants give good quality but they also do it at affordable prices and uh, part of it has been that the physical environment that they're in it has been a turnoff for a lot of people. Uh, parents who bring young freshmen to campus say, ooh what am I doing? Where am I where am I taking my kid? This is kind of a grungy place you know. Why does he want to be here? Why does she want to be here? is she going to be safe on the street? Well, that's not the kind of question that that should be asked. I mean, the questions that ought to be asked is, where's that cool Ethiopian restaurant that I've heard about that's on Hillsborough Street? You know, that that this person can experience something new in their life, something different. Did the partnership get any inspiration
9: from streets in other cities?
8: Part of the planning process did look at other cities. We brought in uh, a guy named Dan Burden, who is a world known expert in creating pedestrian places and walkable communities. He and a lot of other people, students in the School of Design, planners with the city and the state, went to other cities to look at what they did. The university administration sponsored a trip to Philadelphia and to Cincinnati, where we saw similar projects that were done at the University of Pennsylvania and at Cincinnati, where major changes took place in the community. A real rebirth of kind of this this place.
9: While some are
7: excited about the changes going on around Hillsborough Street others still have trouble navigating the changing environment of the area
10: Billy Fiddler, and I'm a freshman here and I study biochemistry I mean it's been pretty crazy I mean I can't get around anywhere on my moped I just got a moped last week and now that this Hillsborough construction is going on it's, it's really rough to get around and I don't know it's conflicting with my studies because I can't get to classes and stuff on time and I don't know it's, it's, it's been a rough couple weeks since I've been back I don't even know what the Hillsboro construction is about.
3: Denise Gunter and I'm a sophomore and I double major in art applications and history. Um I really, really, really hate Hillsborough Street because I used to be able go down take like five minutes to get my parking spot, which crossed from Bell Tower, but now it takes me like thirty minutes because not only do I have construction and the big bulldozers and stuff, which freak me out because they'll like swing kind of like the big things over and I'm always scared they're going to hit my car. And then the pedestrians get frustrated too because they went across. And then a big group of them comes across and just stuck. It's just, and it always makes me like class. And so I just really, really hate Hillsborough Street. Um, yeah, I don't, like I, I, I kind of don't go there anymore. I used to go there a lot, I don't go now. Unless I'm like on campus and I want to walk across the street.
4: Kishana Johnson, Biological Sciences, sophomore. The bus stop, when you're coming from the library, you can only use one bus stop instead of the usual two. And sometimes it's easier to use the one that they cut off to get around. I see they put up some new street lights, so that's gonna be good. I don't feel like I'm gonna get mugged. More people will be comfortable going out, going over across there where it's well lit.
2: My name's Sam Cabala. I'm a freshman in engineering. When you take a bus over there it seems like it's a little bit slower to dry because stopping traffic and all that. I saw it before they started the construction and hopefully it'll look nicer and I mean draw more people out there but um, I mean right now it's still a little bit sketchy so just gotta wait till it's not.
10: My name is Kelsey Fitzpatrick and my major is English Education. Just to walk across the street to get a cup of coffee kind of feel like I'm putting my life in danger because there's not really any kind of thing to tell me when to walk or when not to walk or cars are gonna run over me and you got the bulldozer over here so it's kind of just makes me feel in danger. The rumors I've heard is fall of 2011.
7: Do you think it'll actually be done by then? No. (laughs) We also talked to local business owners to get their perspective on dealing with the disruption
1: to their normal business operation. I'm Mike Ritchie, the owner of Global Village Organic Coffee. And to answer the first question, how is the construction on Hillsborough Street affecting us? Well, I think it's affected everybody pretty hard. My business is down probably by a third since uh, the start of the construction on Hillsborough Street. The biggest issue is that the project is being done without any consideration to the needs of the folks on campus or the folks who have businesses on Hillsborough Street. The way it was supposed to be done, uh, they were supposed to go only a block at a time to minimize the disruption of the street, but somebody gave the contractor the freedom to just tear up the entire street at once, and it's just had a terrible effect on everybody. Parking is gone, Uh, the street conditions are terrible, the dirt, the dust, the mud when it rains, the lack of access across the street, and even when there is access, the safety of that access is questionable. So I think all of those combined have made it very, very difficult for both the businesses as well as the students, faculty, and staff. What that means for me is uh, my business is down about $70,000 since the construction began, and um, I'm taking less money home. Um, I'm working more hours. Um, I haven't rehired to fill spots that I normally would hire for because I just don't have the money to pay people any more than I already am. I'm keeping the people that I have as busy as I can keep them, uh, but other than that, I haven't Brought in anybody new in a, in a year. We've lost water lines, we've uh, lost power. As they've broken into power lines, they decided as the semester, as the fall semester began, that move-in day, which is usually my biggest day of the entire semester, was the perfect day to turn off all the power on Hillsburg Street. So there's very little consideration for the needs of the merchants uh, whenever they make any of their decisions. I mean, they've got everything torn up, they've got everything opened up, they've got no choice. You know, the only thing that they can do at this point is honor what they said they were going to do when they do the sidewalks. And what they said they would do is keep a five-foot access for all of the businesses when they do the sidewalks, but if you remember what they did when they did the sidewalk at Red Hot and Blue and Loco Pops, there was no access whatsoever, so they really don't care about the merchants. Sure, all of the businesses are going through the same thing. I feel like I'm one of the lucky ones. I've heard other people say their business is down 40, 50, 60%. Uh, Honestly, I was in Frazier's the other night, and Fraser's is one of the best restaurants in Raleigh, and my wife and I were two of six people in the restaurant the entire night. I honestly don't know how some of the businesses are going to hold on. We've already lost four businesses on the street. Uh, There are more businesses that will fail before this is over with. Let's consider the things that were necessary uh, at the time they started the project. There were two dramatic needs. Number one is a dramatic improvement in parking, and the second thing was a cleanup of the street. Uh, They are cleaning up the street, so it will look better. However, we're actually having a reduction of parking spaces on Hillsborough Street. Uh, We will have a significant reduction in parking spaces. The city tells us that we're going to be better off because we will have more parking hours. What that means is with the remaining parking spaces, they're going to relax the 11 p.m. parking restriction and let people park till midnight. So take those par- all of the remaining parking spaces, multiply by one hour, and we will have a net increase in parking hours, but we will have a net decrease in parking spaces. Moreover, in the original project, the university is responsible for replacing one-for-one one every parking space lost on Hillsborough Street. The way they are doing that is by letting people park in satellite parking on Centennial Campus and take the Wolf Line around to Hillsborough Street. The bottom line is the only way you're going to get people in here is with a parking garage. People do not parallel park. They will not parallel park. Uh, you get people who live up in North Raleigh. They'd rather go to a shopping center where they, they know they've got ready parking available and they can diagonal park or park the way they usually do in a shopping center. They're not going to come down here to parallel park. There's an association of businesses along the street. We're in the process of, of putting together something called a Business Improvement District, which all of the business owners uh, will contribute to. Um, all the university will contribute to and the city will contribute to. Uh, nothing else will be asked of the students in terms of increased activities, fees, or anything of that sort. But the objective of that business improvement district is to get the merchants working working together to try to reduce costs for things that we use in common. For example, get a group contract for um, recycling and trash services, hire somebody to clean the streets, Uh, hire extra public safety officers for the evenings to make sure that the streets are safe, hire people to sweep the streets. But, you know, those are things that we are paying for uh, to try to keep the conditions on Hillsborough Street where they should be as we move forward. You know, the only other thing I'd like to add is I know that all of the businesses on on Hillsborough Street, while we're struggling, really appreciate the efforts that people are making to get across to Hillsborough Street. We know it's not easy. We know that the way they're handling the crosswalks where you walk across on one crosswalk and you don't know if that crosswalk is going to be there when you go back makes it an onerous burden for people to come across to Hillsborough Street. And, you know, in spite of all of our griping about what's going on, what's happening to us, we realize that you're as affected by it as we are, and we really appreciate the extra efforts that people are going through to continue to to use the businesses on Hillsborough Street. My name is John
4: Moyer. I go by Uncle John. You're down here at Shakedown Street, location here on 2500 Hillsboro Street. Recently, we opened up uh, just here in December. Of course, we knew what we were getting into with this nightmare of the construction. And I guess uh, right now, talking about the other proprietors up and down the street, I know their businesses are down 60 to 40 percent. So I was geared to know about that as we as we entered into our business here. And we've been do- doing extremely well. It's a new concept. People have given us, you know, a welcome to us with open arms. We have a very positive thing going on. As you can tell, I'm living in uh, the World War three uh, construction zone here and it's been a nightmare but uh, I think once everything is done that's what we're we're all keeping the positive thoughts going with, with the, the shakedown vibe and uh, once everything's up and running it's gonna it's gonna be great I mean uh, the improvements I really feel are gonna be you know really necessary to the area number one number two w- once it is done that's why I'm out here today kind of just visualizing what's gonna take place with the new sidewalks landscaping it's gonna be a wonderful place to come and chill you know so uh, so I guess uh, right now uh, we're doing great with our business as as it is and uh, if everybody's down 60% once this all comes around I think we're going to be very fortunate to have a wonderful place for not only Raleigh but for the students of the NC State to come and hang you know well I came into a situation right now where when I knew the uh, previous owner was going to be going out of business because of the first of the year with the establishment he had and of course as of the first of the year no smoking environment so I knew about that I came across the building I love the atmosphere of the building. I love the location. So I figured I was going to jump into it at this time and kind of struggle through with everybody and uh, just, you know, get, get it going in, in the in the rough times and look ahead towards the positive times. But everything's been great. Again, we have a very affordable price with our meals. We're trying to put out the best quality for the best deal. We're shaking it down on Shakedown Street, you know. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm in the trenches with everybody else down here in Hillsboro now. I feel for a lot of the people that are really having a tough time and on verge of not making it because of the ways things were with them. I mean, I came in in a situation knowing what was in front of me. We were set to, you know, have to deal with all that. And right now, uh, like I said, we're on keel to what we need to do. It's only going to get better. We're almost to our projection of our budget already, you know, and this is in the nightmare of what's going on down here, you know. So, we always say don't tell me this town ain't got no heart because I can hear it beat out loud, and that's what we're going for.
3: My name is Denise Miller, and I am the assistant manager of the store Sugar Magnolia. Well, you know, we knew that this was a prime location and construction isn't permanent. So it's something that if we come in here and we put our best foot forward when there is construction, when the construction's done and the street looks great, we're going to already be here and ready and you guys will already be enjoying us. So we're ready. We're in for the long haul. My
11: name is Aisha Rishi. I'm from Lizzie's Vianney Corner from GoPax on Pillsbury Street.
3: Well, I'm pretty sure I'm not the
11: only one, but there are a lot of other businesses that have been affected. It's just gone down a little bit because of the parking problem, and students are having a really tough time crossing the road, and everything is blocked pretty much. And we're hoping it will get better after everything is out of the way, but it has affected big time. It's been a pretty tough time, not for us, I'm sure, but probably for other businesses. I think things will get better, and then especially with the parking problem, I think it'll be better. I'm looking for some positive things ahead.
7: Hillsborough Street is very important to not only the campus, but the community as well. We hope that this segment has given you a better perspective on the situation on Hillsborough Street, and we encourage you to always yield to pedestrians, and please drive safely. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Chris Chaffee. And I'm Matt Moore. Thanks for listening.
5: You're listening to WKNC 88.1, Eye on the Triangle. Now we're going to take a short break, and when we get back, we'll have our Community Canvas segment hour here this segment and our wolf packer of the week as always be sure to check us out on wknc.org eot and send us any comments suggestions whatever at public affairs at wknc.org
0: community canvas on eye on the triangle
5: your local arts news you're
12: listening to community canvas on eye on the triangle i'm meredith faggart This week, I talked with a few employees of the newly opened store on Hillsbury Street, Sugar Magnolia, which is located between Sylvia's Pizza and Brugger's Bagels.
3: My name is Denise Miller, and I am the assistant manager. Um, I manage our store in East Lansing, Michigan, and I came down here for the month to help get the store started.
12: Can you tell me a little bit about your pricing at Sugar Magnolia?
3: We actually started it, it was just a sale to do for our art fair up in Ann Arbor originally. And everyone was so excited about it, we just kept doing it $15 or less. Um, and then it inspired us to go to our different cooperatives around the world and say, okay, now we're doing a discount store, what sort of things can you bring in? So a lot of the cooperatives started using recycled materials and things like that so that they could bring it in um, for $15 or less. So it's really nice because we have some new arrivals that came in at specifically for 15 And then we have things from our original boutiques that because we pay upfront to the artisans, we can comfortably take it down at a clearance price, and it doesn't hurt the artisan at all.
12: Where are all of the cooperatives located?
3: Um, they're all over. Um, we originally started in South America, in Ecuador, and Bolivia, and Peru, um, and then eventually branched out to Bali, um, and primarily most of our clothing comes from India, Bali, and Nepal.
12: How did you find out about the cooperatives?
3: we actually first started doing was just physically going to the countries, we would go to the open-air markets, find a merchant, um, talk with a merchant for a little bit, ask if we could go back and see their factories, and if merchants are up for it and they want to let us see the factories, then that means that they're giving good work, working wages and things like that, so then we go and kind of inspect the factories, see how things are doing, um, buy a small sample of the items, and bring them back here to sell.
12: Have you ever been over to the cooperatives personally?
3: Yes, I have. Um, I've been to India and Nepal twice to visit our cooperatives, so I've helped pick out the scarves and I've visited like our recycled silk factories um, and the hemp uh, companies as well.
12: Can you tell us about one of your personal experiences with the artists or some of the workers that you visited?
3: Yeah, actually, um, this was my favorite day. Um, So when we were in Nepal, um, I got up really early and was just kind of like, you know, walking around. And we met this group of uh, people, and they were knitting and making wool uh, materials. So we went back to their shop, you know, and kind of visited them for a bit. And it was really interesting to see because when you walk the streets of Nepal, a lot of the women are very um, quiet and timid. They won't make eye contact or anything like that. And when we get into this cooperative, it's just full of ladies, and they're laughing and joking and just kind of bustling around, and there's all this energy, um, you know, and they were being really communicative and interactive with us Um, so it was really cool to see how when you get into this cooperative the ladies feel really empowered with what they're doing and they're really proud of their work so it was really nice to work with them because they were so eager to show us exactly what they did
12: when I walk into your store the first thing I immediately notice are the mirrors what can you tell me about this
3: The mirrors are really cool. Um, They come from Bali. Um, They're doing their best to use all recycled materials, so they'll use like the recycled glass face. and then any wood that you see framing the mirrors is using recycled wood as well. Um, So it's really cool. Um, The mosaic ones are just kind of abstract designs, but the wooden ones are more whimsical designs that the Balinese artists um, kind of bring in some of their traditional patterns and styles. So you'll even see like some batik cloth put onto the mirror frames um, and everything like that, which I think is really cool because it's something that's contemporary, and at the same time, a little bit of their culture
12: so right now i'm standing beside these hemp looking hoodies can you explain more in detail about what the materials are and who made these
3: yeah our baja hoodies um these are pretty awesome um they come from uh, companies uh based down in texas um and it's a really comfortable baja brushed on the inside and it's something that I mean, everyone wears back in my hometown in Ann Arbor, and it's it's just comfortable. I don't really know what else to say about it. But, yeah, but it's it's, it's a great company, and basically they're um, paying excellent wages to their workers, really investing back into the company. And you can see the quality come out because they take the extra time to, like, brush the inside of the Baja. When we open up the boxes, everything is really nicely folded and well-presented, so they're really proud of what they're doing.
12: The jewelry you have is very bright and colorful. What kind of materials are used to make these
3: All of our Balinese jewelry, um, they try to use as many recycled beads as possible, um, using recycled wood um, and shell as well. Um, The jewelry that comes from Nepal, a lot of it is actually recycled cow bone. Um, And what they do is they do a ceremonial cleansing and blessing of the bones and then carve sacred images into the bones. Um, But you're, you're right, the jewelry is some of my favorite things because that's really where the artists are using the best recycling methods.
12: Can you tell me about the beginnings of Sugar Magnolia?
3: Well, the store in Ann Arbor, we had our boutique, and right next door there was a, a store that went out of business just before our art fair. And art fair is this huge show that's in Ann Arbor. Um, we were really excited to get the space, so we just went ahead and grabbed it, and for the sake of the art fair, we were like, okay, let's do $15 or less. And the day after art fair, we're packing things up, and people came in, and they're like, oh, is it still 15 And we're like, yeah, sure! <laughs> and just kind of kept going like that. Um, but it was really cool because, again, because we pay all of our artisans up front, we have A lot of stock and it's a great way to move stock out comfortably. It increases the turnover so that we can go back and buy again from the cooperatives.
12: Since Sugar Magnolia is a chain, where are the other stores located?
3: So we have two in Ann Arbor, one in East Lansing, one in Nashville, Tennessee, and then one here in Raleigh.
12: If you could sum up the mission of Sugar Magnolia in your own words, what would it be?
3: The mission of Sugar Magnolia, um, I think for me, I think and and what we're trying to do um, as a whole is getting people to see how they buy their their things for their personal, you know, accessories and whatnot thinking just in a little bit different perspective. Getting something that's cool and funky and unique and at the same time coming from a moral base. Um, we also like getting a lot of things that are you know scarves and wrap skirts where it's really just a lot of your personality that you have to put into it. You've got the same scarf but it can be wrapped 20 different ways so I think it's really cool. We get a lot of people come in here and they're like really straight and narrow at first and then they come back again and again and just get funkier and funkier each time so I don't know. I think it's, the
11: goal is to be individual. My I'm Kat Shavans. I'm a senior textiles.
3: Okay, so tell me a
12: little bit about how you found out about the job at Sugar Magnolia.
11: Honestly, Craigslist. Uh, (laughs) There was a job opening, and I applied, and I was interviewed, and then they asked me if I wanted to work, and they, since it is kind of like an eclectic field, they said that, you know, they give you like a two-week trial period and see if you really liked it at the stores for you, and I guess it is because I'm still here
12: so what do you like about sugar magnolia
11: i really like how versatile is and how we have basics but yet also different things from other cultures and so it allows people to kind of get into the door and getting to know like what else is out there in other countries but i do think it's great for a state's campus especially because it is 15 or less so it's great for the target of college students
12: what are your thoughts about the store being fair trade and how that fits into the state community and are you hoping that more students will look into buying fair trade items as opposed to going to the mall?
11: I think it's um, extremely important to understand like what actually goes on in factories and actually paying like directly to the artist. And so it is. I mean, that's what they do, and that's like what they're passionate. And I'd rather pay for someone who's passionate about it because I mean, there's a lot of things as far as like things are made that's just really inhumane. And also with this being eco-friendly, I think it's important for people to be like aware of what other options are there.
12: What would you say the biggest thing you've learned so far about working at a fair trade store has been?
11: I guess it's how people actually like create their work. Like even some of the things they're diet is like with like coffee or berries and it kind of like opens up your mind to like things that you could even do or try. So I just think it's interesting how things are made and like what they're made from. Like even when have like hair pieces made from like bone from a cow. Cool.
12: Thank you to Sugar Magnolia. And that was Community Canvas on Eye on the Triangle. I'm Meredith Faggart.
0: Hear this on Eye on the Triangle.
3: Your local music news. Water the bear.
9: Couldn't come clean. Fish time's the disco the
5: To Eye on the Triangle's Hear This. I'm Seja Hindi, Assistant Daytime Music Director Michael Jones, more commonly known as DJ Ones, and I sat down with I Was Totally Destroying It to talk about their latest video project. During the past three years, the five-member band from Chapel Hill has recorded two records and an EP. The band's next show is at Club 828 in Asheville on January 29th, and its next Raleigh show is February 15th at The Poorhouse.
9: Hey, this is John from I Was Totally Destroying It, and uh, happy to be here.
5: And I'm Rachel. Awesome, thanks for being here. So what can you guys tell us about your latest project of recording basically everything leading up to your next album? You said it was a New Year's resolution. What kind of spurred the idea?
10: I guess it's just that um, we get really interested in watching other bands go through this process. Like, we've always really enjoyed watching um, some of our favorite bands Uh as they are in the process of recording and creating a project. And also, I mean, John's wanted to do this for a really long time. And we always have had a camera around, like when we've been on the road, we brought cameras with us. And we said, oh, man, we should film this, because it's actually a pretty interesting process. And um, we never did. (laughs) So now that John's written it down in a blog and published it and said, we're going to do this, it's kind of like, well, we, we really have
9: to now. Yeah, it's really hard to give yourself the motivation to do that. I think, um, yeah, getting it out there definitely is a, r- a reason to say, well, people know that we're planning to do this now, so we're kind of stuck with it. Um, but, uh, yeah, basically it's it's just kind of about adding a certain challenge to the music-making process. That's something that excites mm-hmm. me a lot. Um, I don't want to get stuck in the same rules of this is how we do something and we've done it this way before, so we should do it this way again. Uh so it's, it's always just interesting to shake it up a bit with things like that. There's a lot of artists out there that I've, I've been following Brian Eno a lot, and I, I geek out on him a lot. And uh, he's always had a lot of different ways of—he likes to come in and work with bands and just try approaches that the band might not be used to to, to make the— Process of making an album unique for them. I just read a book about one of his records. Brian Eno and this other guy made these cards, these playing cards called Oblique Strategies. And basically, what they do is, uh, you know, you shuffle a deck of cards that they came up with, and they all have this like instruction on them. And like, you pull one out, you're like, basically, you hit an impasse in the recording process, and you're like, well, what do we do next? Like, we're kind of stalemated right now with this song that we're working on or something. You pull a card out, and it has some random instruction. It could be anything from erase all the tape to uh and, and they're actually a lot of the instructions are across the board for any kind of art so they're kind of, they're a little bit more vague than that but like i'm trying to think of one Can uh, you think, think
10: of, of the radio think of the radio think of the radio is one is it really? yeah
9: okay mm-hmm. well, th- there you go that's kind of top yeah. um but yeah like just just things to like maybe get you through an impasse or to make you think about where you're stuck differently mm-hmm. and uh so that's sort of something i wanted to throw in with the, video process was the it's a way to shake it up.
10: Yeah, it's definitely um, people tend to, to perform maybe a little better when they're a little bit uncomfortable. Like if you settle into something, you might not be pushing yourself as much. Like we have a camera filming us right now and it's making me uncomfortable and it's kind of making me alter how I'm answering these questions. And I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but it's something that I think will be very interesting to see. And um, it will maybe influence how we spend our practices, you know, right? We're I mean, we're not going to like ham it up for the camera and go out of our way to make an interesting... Interesting vlog for you guys every month but it's definitely just a new element to add into what we've been doing already
5: so we should probably redo this interview off camera <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
9: Yeah, and it's also uh, a way to see the growth of the record from from beginning to end.
5: So, of course, you don't want to give too much away before you release your album. How does that factor into your video project? Well, another idea we had was that
10: generally when you're a local band and you write a new song, the way that that song kind of comes into its final form is you start playing it out live. And we really don't want to do that this time. Like, we really say um, when bigger bands are touring, they're not like, here's, you know, here five new songs that we're writing. When when a new album comes out, they're like, OK, here's this new batch of 12 songs you've never heard before. And it's the most exciting thing in the world to you because you've been waiting for this. And um, obviously, I don't expect people to feel that way about us. But I think it'll be really interesting to kind of have that, that outlook. Like, we're not going to, you know, have these test runs of playing these songs in front of people and engage reactions and kind of edit and then redraft them. Um, through that we're just going to be doing it with each other and, and in the studio and in our practice space
9: Yeah, I was gonna say that. that that that's a really cool part about it to me is is that element of it like I hope it doesn't come across the wrong way with a lot of things. But this band likes to behave sometimes or do, you know, come up with ideas like that that are a little bit, that, like Rachel said, it's something a bigger band would do. And it's not like we're like, well, we're big, so we're going to behave like that. But it's, I think there's something interesting just about, again, like shaking it up like that. I've always been in bands, small local bands that do exactly what she was saying. You know, you write a new song and then you play it next week at the local club and, you know, the, your fans come out and your friends come out and they say, oh, I really like that new song. And that song could be in their heads and they know like every word two years before the CD actually comes out So it's you know when we put out our most recent CD most of our fans knew all the material already And uh, I think that that, that's really cool and that's a great part of it But again about changing the process is, is really fun for me, so hopefully we'll be able to give a lot of the process away of what we're doing show people you know this inside look at what we're working on without having too much of it in there too much of the actual songs you know like i want to show us creating the songs and working on snippets of them but i want i still would like in a year or so year and a half probably when the cd comes out for people to go oh so that's what that became that like i i heard these elements in there but you know i didn't exactly know what it was going to end up like so
6: Uh, I remember the last time that we spoke about this, you talked about how you're putting signs everywhere that said film it just so you could remind yourself. And I know you're using the blog post to help you remind yourself about filming
9: everything. What other ways do you have planned to kind of help you push out filming everything? Yeah, I mean, we were were talking on the way in and uh, we were just talking about the camera, bringing it today to film this, you know, because this is all part of it talking about the whole process and you know i just made a remark i was like it's gonna be so hard for me to remember to do this all the time and rachel's like oh well i'll i'll get it and she always like i you know we gra- grab the camera on our way out the door and then by the time we got here Rachel's just like oh here's the camera i'm like oh i totally forgot about that so <laughs> um so I'm, i've got to work on it and yeah i'm definitely posting signs around the house to remind me and you know in the band practice room i've got to put one up for sure or otherwise you know we just get in the moment of like oh we're working on this song it's like oh well, we should film it because that's the whole thing we're trying to do but uh uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just staying on top of it is the main thing. And like I said, doing things like posting the blog to remind myself. I always, you know, basically if I say something in public, it's like I'm going to do this, then I have to do it. I always, that's how I that's how I work. It's like I'll have a lot of ideas that go through my mind, but once I say it to a friend or something like that, I always feel like I'm going to be held to it, <laughs> so I got to like I got to live up to that. So, I don't
6: know. So, I I know this is pretty speculative at the moment, but I mean, do you really have any plans for maybe compiling all this footage together and making it into something uh, larger, maybe more full length?
9: I would love for it all to end up a cohesive piece. I mean, I imagine what we'll do is at least once, once a month for the next 12 or so months, post at least one five-minute video online, I guess. Um, you know, something just edited together of what happened that month. Uh, maybe they'll, you know, they'll probably vary in length a little bit. They'll, they'll vary in the way that they're put together and filmed a little bit. We're going to have at least one friend uh, has volunteered this great filmmaker that we know uh, to follow us around for at least one of those months, I think. And uh, so that's really exciting. So her take on it will probably be very different than the way we're doing it ourselves. And, you know, obviously that'll put a whole different vibe on it, not just us setting up a camera ourselves, but her being there and being a part of it. Um, but so. I think it'll probably, it'll have a lot of different elements to each, each one and like, but it, hopefully it'll, it'll all work together. And if it does, who knows what we'll do with it. I mean, maybe it could be a thing where, um, you know, we'd have to, I don't know, talk to our record label about this, but you know, you put it out with the CD or something like that as like a little download video or something. Uh, I don't know. Um, I'm open to whatever. It's just a matter of if we execute it well, I think it's, it's a matter of seeing how well we can do this and, We've only really done ourselves like video editing just a little bit. I'm I'm a novice with all of it, I, but
10: uh, it took like <laughs> two years of, of a film editing class when I was in middle school, so I've got <laughs> some experience. Yeah.
5: And that was Rachel Hirsch and John Booker from "I Was Totally Destroying It" on "I and the Triangles." Hear this.
4: Students of the Week on Eye on the Triangle.
1: Talking with Wolfpackers that are leading the pack. Tonight on Eye on the Triangle's Wolfpacker of the Week, we are joined by Charlotte Geis. She's joining us to discuss breaking into the world of collegiate apparel and accessories after graduating from NC State. So my
13: name is Charlotte Geis, and I recently graduated in December of 2009 from the college design at NC State. My major was in art and design and I have my own business called Ollie Oxen. It's an apparel and accessories business basically and right now it's collegiate related. Only NC State is what I'm selling but eventually I'll be expanding into other universities, hopefully the ACC and the SEC. I plan on doing Chapel Hill and Duke next. Naturally, I started with NC State because I like it much more, and that's where I went, and that's where my family went, so much more of a Wolfpacker. And eventually, though, hopefully Ole Miss, Bama kind of take over. <laughs> I'm hoping to eventually expand into all the other things that I love to do, like metalwork and welding and woodworking in my undergraduate work, it wasn't really anything in particular that made me want to start my own company. I've always wanted to. And when I was in high school, I had my own business. In my senior year, I made the Wolfpack skirt for my interview at the College of Design. And so I've had it for probably five years, and it's been only me wearing it. And I just, every time I would tailgate, I saw how much of a response it got and how many people would want one. And I thought that'd be kind of a perfect way to, perfect product to start my business with. And hopefully, eventually, it'll kind of be a business that involves all of the things that I really love. Behind my business, the name of it, uh, I had a hard time with that. My business, the legal name is Charlotte Geist Designs LLC. And, what you can do is have multiple DBAs or doing business as. And so I decided to have a DBA and I went through a couple of names. I had settled on one and then realized that there was another website out there that I probably wouldn't want people accidentally going to. (laughs) And so I just kind of had a huge list of names and, talked to a bunch of people and all my friends and family and got ideas. And I thought about "ali, ali, oxen free" from the saying that you used to say when you're a little kid and, you know, play kick the can or hide and seek. And so that's kind of what I thought about. And I just think it really embodies what my business is about, which is just kind of a lifestyle of being able to have fun and you know, say, get dirty or do whatever you need to do and go tailgating. And, but you can still look good at the same time. I do have to pay a licensing fee to NC State. That's probably the—it's not very difficult to get licensed. It's just <laughs> not inexpensive. And so that's kind of what makes it a slower process for adding on other schools because you have to pay royalty rates for each skirt you sell. You also have to pay the licensing fees for each year, things like that. The licensing group, there are pretty much two main ones, the licensing resource group, which NC State does theirs through, and then there's the collegiate licensing group, and they have different rules, And but for the most part, you can get your submit your designs, and they approve of them. But it's relatively simple. What is important to me, though, is... Technically, I could use for my products the exact, you know, say, image of Mr. Wolfhead or the exact typography and everything that NC State uses. But it's more important for me to have it be a little bit different and more simplified. So that's why on the women's skirts, the Wolfhead is my interpretation, which is really similar, but it's my drawing of Mr. Wolf's head rather than the exact NC State one. I wanted to go to NC State really because the college was design. And at first, when I was in high school, I have two older brothers, and we're all three years apart. And a lot of parents and friends' parents would ask me if I was going to go to a state like my brothers, and I would say no. And in high school, I rode on a crew team. And I thought that maybe I would go to college to row and do some sort of art, or something like that for my major. But then, I realized that I just, I didn't want to major in the sport, essentially. So, then I found out about the College of Design at NC State, which I didn't really know about at all, and it was just kind of perfect. I was already a big NC State fan, having two brothers who had gone there, and it was, College of Design is an amazing school, and full of great people, and after I submitted my portfolio and did my interview and all of that, it was just kind of the place, place for me.
1: For example, for examples so of our Wolfpacker of the Weeks, Charlotte Geiss's designs, please visit Ion the Triangle at WKN's. For examples so of our Wolfpacker of the Week, Charlotte Geis' designs, please visit Ion the Triangle online at WKNC.org slash blog.
5: And that wraps up another episode of I Am the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Be sure to check out the blog at WKNC.org slash EOT for more. And check out our exclusive sound bites and some video. And we'll hope to see you in two weeks.